0: The Miami Open has been run and won. If there were any doubters over whether Ash Barty should still be world number one, well, they've been proven wrong because Ash Barty romped home to her second successive Miami Open crown. While on the men's side, it was Hubert Hercash who won an unlikely Masters 1000 event in a star-studded young field. The big three not there, but it doesn't mean it wasn't any less exciting. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and as per usual, I'm looking into this beautiful computer camera. Hopefully, we'll be able to get a setup where we can do this in person soon. But Joel Ferrucci, my co host, my right hand man, in his beautiful red. I don't know what soccer Guernsey that is, but um, it, it's nice, it's red. Um, How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, going well, mate. So it's a Spartak Moscow top, so obviously Russian club, but uh, it's red and white. So I thought I'd uh, throw it on um, as a bit of a nod to. Uh, Tomasz Lojek, who's our guest today. Um, he, of course, is of the uh, Polish persuasion, red and white flags. So, uh, yeah, thought I'd go with the, go with that one for the show. But um, yeah, mate, I'll tell you what, you—it's uh, inopportune because I was uh, I was getting ready for my uh, my latest Star uh, OnlyFans upload, but you have distracted me. So uh, here I am <laughs> talking about tennis with you. <laughs>
0: Oh, we've started the show off absolutely uh, it, this is a disastrous start to the show. Um okay, pulling the train back. No more no more only chat from you Joel. Um Tomasz Lorak is our special guest and so is Andrew Harris. So, uh Tomasz, obviously one of the best Polish journalists in the world and one of the best broadcasters internationally for tennis that we do boast in this wonderful sport and Andrew Harris um had a pretty successful um, Melbourne summer series winning a match and playing Grigor Dimitrov and not being too far off so we'll chat to him about that and much, much more with what's going on with him and how he's handled uh, two thousand and twenty one so far. But Joel, before you uh you crudely interrupted uh this, this uh this G rated programme <laughs> that we uh that we do have. Um When was this ever G rated? <laughs> I don't think it's ever been G rated. Ever since you started swearing on day one. Um yeah I don't I don't yeah, reckon then, it's... Uh,
1: and then, and then, and then, fast forward a few years, and um, we had uh, we had we had Danil uh, breaking out, "Shut your fuck
0: up!" And, then <laughs> up, and it's
1: never been g rated ever since. And then we had yeah. Tancredi
0: Palmeri uh, just absolutely launching <laughs> into a few swear words as well. So, look, we might as well just keep it unrated. Breakpoint after dark, it is nighttime. Daylight savings is done. Maybe we should do one. Who knows? Just do a really explicit breakpoint. Yeah. Um, do one with our shirts off. I don't know. Um, the viewers won't yeah. the viewers won't see that so that will help and they don't need to know um, but yeah it has been it has been a really interesting week in Miami Joel and I think that the tournament it was it was very difficult to watch at times and and I'm not sure if you felt the same way but every time I flicked it on um, the time zone was somewhat friendly to us here in here in Melbourne, but. It just, it lacked. They weren't playing on the main centre court, which is what they used in 2019 in Hard Rock Stadium because um, just, I think, with the COVID bubble that everybody was in and just the fact that they weren't able to use or to get the construction in and to get the infrastructure in to to build that temporary grandstand in the middle of Hard Rock. They used all the outside courts, which still were fine, but uh, just with the lack of crowd, it just, when it's not a grand slam, it, it, it does genuinely lack, doesn't it, Joel?
1: Yeah, it does. I think, I think at this point though, I reckon it's almost just a bit of pandemic fatigue, to be honest. Um, because obviously we know that, that the virus has just obviously wrecked pretty much everything that we know as, as normal in life. But, um, especially with, with sport and with tennis as well, it's obviously such a, such a fluid sport where everyone's moving everywhere. And, um, you know, we always want to see, uh, people like at, at arenas, um, at matches. And obviously we don't have that. we haven't had that for pretty much for 12 months now. It's been 12 to 13 months. Um, you know, really since, since, um, the sunshine double was, was canceled last year. And yeah, I don't know. I think obviously we've had some issues, um, at this event on the men's side, particularly the women's side has been, has been pretty good, but, um, I think just overall, generally speaking, I think it's almost just getting to a point where, um, you know, we're in this phase where at the moment, um, you know, we're seeing the vaccine rolled out internationally, people are getting it, things are slowly but surely improving, and I think people are, um, in many respects, not just, um, you know, in sport and in, and in tennis and in the events that they're consuming, I think, I think people are now at this phase where we're really just kind of waiting to see what happens next, and we're in this phase where we're kind of coming out of it, but but sort of not really quite yet. Um, so I think, yeah, I think we're just we're just stuck in this in this phase where we're really just kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern, and we're we're ready just to kind of embrace crowds again and embrace some more normality, but we're we're just not quite there yet.
0: No, we're not. And I, I think what was the tease, Joel, was that we had we had such an amazing and electric atmosphere in Melbourne for. All barring five days of the of the Australian yeah, Open, and I think that. that doesn't
1: help either because we have we've had a taste of it now. Like yeah. we, we've remembered what it was like, and now that we've gone back to to no crowd, it's kind of like oh this again.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And I think that was that's been the problem, and the fact that we sat there in awe of what the crowd was like in that Nick Kyrgios versus Dominic team match, and the fact that now we were used to seeing crowds at the cricket and at the Test cricket where with the AFL season that started, we're so used to actually sitting there in amongst 40,000 people at the MCG. I think flicking on the television and watching no crowds in Europe and in America, it's a bit of pill to swallow when you're an avid sports fan and things are, and things are succeeding so well here in, here in Melbourne and here in Australia. So it's um yeah. And I think that this is just something that I think we're going to have to adjust to. Um, unfortunately you know we're not going to like it but yeah you are 100% right i think we're stuck in this phase where some weeks are going to be good some weeks are going to be poor and some weeks are just going to be pretty average and you know we've we've seen a mixed bag in tennis this year but it doesn't take away from the fact that we saw some pretty scintillating tennis outside of the big 3 being at this masters 1000 because i think it was the first time since paris 2004 that none of the big 3 had been at a masters event and Look at what happened. Daniel Medvedev didn't win. Stefan Pass didn't win. Alexander Zverev didn't win. And the final, well, it was Hubert Hurkacz against Yannick Sinner. Who the hell would have predicted that?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much no one. Um, and but I mean, this is the this is the flip side of, of when you when you lose some dominoes to you know the, I guess the the, the lack of, of travel or the fear of travel or you know just. I guess kind of in a roundabout way, and I'm sure we'll touch on in the, on this in a moment, but the, the kind of environment that the, the changed ranking system has kind of created, you get um, these players that are so desperate for, for points and for a breakthrough. Um, you know, guys like Yannick Sinner, who we know is pretty much on the precipice of, of, of doing something seriously special. But um, over who cash it was, it was his first um, 1,000 title, a real breakthrough for him. Um so again, it just it just shows that other side of the coin where you, you've got all these all these players coming through and um, and you know sort of making their own their own history. But um, yeah, don't think anyone would have picked it. Um, but again, it was it was great to see. And I almost think that um, as an extension to that, kind of in this this phase that we're in, you almost need these storylines to keep things interesting because um, you know when you've got the the big guys and I guess the big the big women, um, you know, sort of winning winning all the titles or winning, winning all the matches, um, you know, however we want to put it. Um, you know, it kind of, yeah, it kind of does make things a, make things a bit boring, particularly now, but, um, it was like the U S open. Like when we, when we came back out of, um, you know, came back out of tennis lockdown, we had Dominic team winning on on the men's side and then fast forward a few months, we had Iga Viontek winning at Roland Garros. That kind of kept things interesting. So like, I think it's really great that, um, a guy like Herbert Hukash could, um, could, uh, win uh, a one thousand title and then um, you know seeing Yannick Sinner in the final as well, um, you know, fantastic.
0: Did you just say Herbert? Who Yeah, Hubert Hercatch. Oh, same thing. <laughs> God, you are you are just on an absolute roll tonight, Joel. Um, but no, it was <laughs> it was a fantastic tournament and the players that Hercatch beat to become the first Polish man to win a Masters one thousand title. If we run through the tournament that he had. He beat the bye in the first round, so that's that's always hard to do. Great right, win. Um, then Dennis Kudla, um, who's surprisingly really young. He's been around for a really long time, but he's still in his 20s, so um, that's still a big win because Kudla can uh, can upset the best. Uh, then Denis Shapovalov in straight sets. Then a 7-6 in the third win over Milos Ranic. Then a three-set win over Stefanos Tsitsipas. And then a straight sets win over an in-form and red-hot Andre Bue Rublev. Um, and then the big win over, um, over Yannick Sinner in the final. It was a staggering week from him and um, also notable uh, run for Sebastian Korda getting through his first top 10 win over Diego Schwarzman, um th- this week and a- amazing result for him to get through to the quarterfinals of his first uh, Masters 1000 event as well. But Huge win for Hercash. We're going to talk to Tomas Lorek a bit more about him later. Yannick Sinner, just a quick thought from you, Joel. I thought he was supreme this week in that semifinal win over Roberto Batista agu I thought he was absolutely scintillating. And uh, Alexander Bublik summed it up perfectly when he said, yeah. uh, you're not human. You're 15 years old and you play like this. He's 19, but same thing. Um, and you play like this, you're not human. And I thought uh, Bublik just gave him the ultimate respect there for a teenager. The guy's got his head screwed on, and he's just an out-and-out superstar.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, can't really add much more. Um, he's just He just keeps ticking boxes, and it's not going to be long until he really, really does something special and, and grabs the tool by the horns.
0: Yep, 100% agree, but we better move on to Ash Barty because that was a monumental, and I repeat, monumental win for Ash because she came in and and there was so much conjecture about whether Osaka should be number one in the whole rankings thing. We even discussed it last week in who we thought was going to be or should be or was the current best player and the top five of the ATP and the WTA. But Ash Barty has come out. She's beaten Yelena Ostapenko. Then a big win over Victoria Azarenka in three sets. Another big win over Aryna Sabalenka in three sets. Then defeating Alina Svitolina, who is engaged now, by the way, to Gail Monfils. They announced that
1: yeah.
0: um, during the week. So big news off the court there. And then to beat Bianca Andreescu, who managed to get herself through to a final and another final, but unfortunately had to retire in the final thanks to a right foot injury after a fall. So, it was disappointing for her considering all the injuries that she's had and what she's had to come back from, but it doesn't take anything away from what Ash Barty did just to prove those doubters wrong and to say, no, 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 Osaka's in this draw, but I'm the world number one and I'm going to win this tournament. And that's exactly what she did.
1: Yep, well said. And that draw that she had to navigate, Jesus, is there some power there or what? Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Ostapenko straight off the bat—that's probably not really the draw the, that you want, no. um, really, because we know what she can do. And um, yeah, I guess if if there's any player, honestly, that can navigate um, a bit of a, a bit of a banana skin like that, I think it's Ash. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think we, we really saw the best of of Ash Barty um, in this event. And um, you know, you can you can probably understand why um, a lot of the women are. I guess have been a little bit vocal about uh, about her remaining at, at number one, and and I guess whether you know whether she's still worthy of, of being in that position because she opted not to travel last year, which is fair enough. I mean, that's that's her decision. I actually think it was it was quite a responsible call by by her to make, and um, you know she, she was really only working within um, you know within the I guess the parameters that that were set out for for the players. Um, so she. No, she took advantage of it and, yeah. and that's that's her call and she did that um, but you know she's come back now and um, she's been able to win a1,000 title only a few months after re-entering the tour which has been really impressive. We said um, at the AO that um, you know, even though I, I personally did pick her to win the women's side of, of the AO in the end as, as we know she um, she didn't she got rolled by Karolina Carolina Mikova. Um but I think what we learned there was that it was it was going to take her a, a little bit of time. Um, for her to rediscover her best, but um, yeah, it clearly hasn't taken long. It's only been really a month and a bit um, since then. So yeah, look, it's 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 a great sign. Hopefully she can, um, she can stay at number one.
0: Yep. And I hope so too, because she's genuinely one of the best characters on tour and fingers crossed we do see the absolute best of Ash Barty in 2021 for what remains of the season. And we don't even know what that's going to look like, but Um, yeah very very exciting to see what Ash Barty can produce she's already won two titles on the tour this year which is um, the most out of uh, I think it's the equal most out of anybody um, on the ATP sorry on the WTA this season but Joel it's about time we get to our first guest and Joel we love going abroad for our guests and we love getting people from all over the world to discuss tennis with us and our next guest is no exception. He's one of Poland's finest exponents as a broadcaster and as a journalist. And he's a lovely, lovely human being. And uh, speak of none other than Tomasz Lorek. He's a uh, freelance tennis journalist and broadcaster, works for television stations over there in Poland and writes for various magazines as well. And it's been a big week for Polish tennis with Hubert Herkash winning the Miami Open and Igish Fiontek. Taking Roland Garros last year, so we thought, what a better, what there is no better time to chat to Thomas. And Thomas, thank you very much for joining us from uh, from Poland. How are you?
2: Lovely, always lovely to talk to Aussies, uh, the most pleasure, uh, the biggest pleasure I ever had in covering tennis, whether it's writing or broadcasting, was uh, visiting Australia. So the the most uh, adorable people who always help uh, to the visitors.
0: Now nah, that's good. We, yeah, do- we Open. Yeah, we do yeah, like we do like mood. to hear that. So um, no, that's very good. But I, I would love to, um, quickly before we do get on to the tennis, Thomas. So I'd love to ask about the um about the COVID situation over in um in Poland at the moment and how you guys are tracking. Because we know Europe is in a very different situation to what Australia is in at the moment. And um, uh, leading into the European clay court swing, which is underway now, um, how are things looking over there?
2: Well, I tell you, from the kids' perspective, I'm also a father. So the, my little boy is 4.6, Mikoai. He goes every, every week to practice a tennis for one hour. It's cancelled. Uh, before Easter, everything is cancelled because of uh, keeping the distance. So uh, the major restaurants, the major uh, shopping malls are closed. So you can only go to work, you can only go for a stroll or have a bit of a walk. You can also do some uh, shopping in little shops that's that's major. It's not a hard lockdown as we had previously in March last year, but people can feel it like uh, the during the Easter there was such a small amount of people on pavement so yeah, tough days uh, I, I think it was harder in uh, in, uh, in the early era of uh, pandemic.
0: And yeah, well, it's at least it is somewhat improving. But we will talk about some more positive things than COVID because since we brought the show back, that's I think all we've talked about. So it's nice to talk about some tennis results and Hubert Hurkacz. What an unbelievable performance it was from him in Miami. The players that he beat, the caliber of players that he was able to to overcome, and then to win the title and his the biggest title of his career and one of the biggest titles ever won by a tennis player from Poland, probably behind Igor Shviontek's Grand Slam of last year. But what does that mean to Polish tennis on the ATP? Because they have been very starved for success. You know, you've had a few big runs here and there with Jerzy Janowicz and Lukasz Kubot um, and and some good performances in the doubles. But what does this mean to have a Masters 1000 champion on the men's singles arena?
2: Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, uh, men's tennis, it's, it's harder to step up the ladder, even if you're highly talented. I was uh, having a laugh uh, when I spoke to Hubby before he flew to Florida. Uh, and I mentioned a guy from Aussie, from uh, the most underrated city in the world, Breezy, yeah? Brisbane, John Millman. He played John Millman at the Challenger, who I said four years ago, Hubi, you've you played John Millman, fantastic Aussie battler, who, who was close to beat Federer. Remember, we all remember the game at the Raleigh Arena and he was 8 4 in a fifth set tiebreaker yeah. against Roger. So, uh, four years ago, Hua Hin in Thailand, he was losing to John Millman. Now he's the Master Champion. Well, uh, Hubi is aware of the fact that Igor Fernandez gave him a so similar power because he, he always wanted to believe uh, that he has a big talent. He played basketball when he was a young guy. His mother, Zofia, was playing. Tennis on a really good level. His ankles, both ankles, were playing good tennis. Uh, Father is a business businessman, which is such a crucial stuff when you're when you planning uh, for your son uh, a big professional career. So uh, he needed Igor Fiontek to show him, winning French Open last year, among women, that uh, he is still capable of doing it. And I think uh, what he talked to, there was a good rivalry, uh, positive way, also, he mentioned to Craig Boyton that where am I going to succeed? Like, right? why Zapis, why Rublov, why Shapovalov are higher in the ranking? I'm 24 right now. When when the first success, big success, was going to come? So there was a bit of impatience inside Hubby, but, but Craig was like, "Hello, you need to wait. You need to work hard. You need to step doing step by step." But you, it's easier said than done. When you're 24, you've won Winston Salem, you've won Derry Beach. 250. You still wait for a big prize to win. So I think the discussion he had with Craig Boyd and former Jim Curios, as as we all know, uh, coach, there was a bit of a pressure, positive pressure, like, hey, Craig, maybe we should, you know, step up the ladder a bit quicker because I, I can't I can't wait for for many years to come.
1: that hey, Thomas. Um, you mentioned Iga Swiatek there, and it was really interesting. Um, I, I guess to see her her rise because she was really impressive even before Roland Garros last year, but then when she won it, she looked so, uh, just so, so I guess so measured and so sure of herself, uh, on, on the court. And, um, I guess it was a bit of a surprise for certainly for, I think a lot of people just to see her win, but, uh, actually watching her play at Roland Garros, it was really, uh, in that respect, kind of no surprise at all because she was so good. So, um, as you say, her winning it must have must have been such a a massive moment for for Polish tennis.
2: Mm, it was. Uh, she's very mature. What what is everybody is amazed with the way she deals with the media off the court because the, her life has, has changed so much since she won Roland Garros last year. Thanks, Joel, for mentioning it. And I think uh, since her father was a former rower, he was uh, an Olympic um, man in Seoul in '88, South Korea. And he knew the sport, despite of course Rowan is totally different to to tennis. Uh, Iga can't swim, but but she's very, you know, intellectual, like she didn't want to she doesn't want to talk about tennis off the court. She she's into the literature, she's into the cinemas, into the nature. So I think they found a great balance and uh, have her sister, older sister, Agata, was playing tennis, in some methods or something hasn't worked out for her. So her father was still very stubborn, Tamas and he said, well, we'll try, possibly Iga will have the same talent to play tennis. And, of course, she had very, you know, moments like downfall. I don't want to practice anymore. When she was a junior player, she had a very serious uh, spine injury when she was 16. Then she came to Traralgon. She, she still remembered Traralgon when she played with Maya Falinska in Australia, and she, she liked the country. I think you need to give her a lot of freedom, and she is very. She wants to be independent, even now when 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 she's twenty. I I I asked her um, last month if she can imagine to play Serena Williams. Like if she's going to be thirty nine years old, she's going to play on such a high level as Serena Williams did in in, in Australia during the Aussie Open, playing the semi final against Naomi Osaka. She said, "I can't imagine. Maybe I will change, but I can't imagine myself being." thirty nine years old running on tennis court. I, I want to do some 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 total different stuff when I when I'm gonna be her age. but maybe maybe if I'm gonna be successful, maybe my mind will change, but I don't think so. so she, she I think she has a plan to do something like Milo if she wants to be a, an economist or somebody with a financial uh, department stay away from tennis so very she, she likes to broaden her horizons that's how I see her.
0: Yeah, and I think Mario Ancic is of a similar mould. I think he studied law at Columbia University or something along those lines as well. So a lot of tennis players have ventured out into into the economic industry or the law industry. So there's 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 lots for them to do if they apply themselves. But looking at, at what Iga was able to do, there, there was such a far cry after Agnieszka Radvanska retired and wasn't able to win her maiden Grand Slam after getting so close and being so high in the rankings. Was there a feeling in Poland that there might not actually be a Grand Slam champion for a very, very long time after Aga retired?
2: Yeah, you're right, Bill. perfect analysis. Because you need to go to the regime of communism. Uh, still, for the ordinary Polish people, tennis guys are um, too much money because the people, ordinary guys or women, don't realise you need to you know, devote a lot when you're a young kid and, and parents have to pay a lot, not only sacrifice the time but also plenty of money to have a little chance to to, to have a success on a professional level. So I think tennis was in a very, after Wojtek Fiebach's era, Fiebach was number world well, number 10 in the 77. Then uh, Łukasz Kuba, then Agnieszka Advanska made it possible. Uh, Lucas in doubles, uh, she was a world well, number two, as you, as you mentioned. She won the WT finals in Singapore, but still there was a there was a deep sorrow, or like, oh okay, Advanska retired, no chance to to have someone else close to her in terms of a level. But suddenly, I think Agnieszka has. Uh, through the young people you know, in Poland, they're very open to the to the Western world and they want to work hard, they want to learn languages, they want to look for different coaches to uh, to be better and in tennis, in terms of tennis skills. So I guess uh, Agnieszka and Lukasz Kubat, through his professionalism, he made such a great impact on, on young people. And of course, we uh, we, we never thought we are going to have uh, a runner-up or someone in the quarters of Grand Slam. Now we've got Hubi uh, winning the Masters Series title for the first time for Polish uh, men's tennis and, and Iga is the is first ever singles champion. So no one has expected it. We knew we had some junior players uh, in both categories, boys and girls, but we didn't expect uh, it's going to come so on such a young age with Iga, especially being 19 years old, like Rafa Nadal winning the, the Roland Garros.
1: Yeah, Poland really has a lot of – has had and still has a lot of really talented tennis players, and it's such a shame that we didn't see more of uh, Jersey Zanobis, of course, uh, last decade and just had so many injuries. But I think what's really great about uh, ego Thomas is that because she is so young, she can still improve a lot, and I think Val and I both think that she'll go on to win more Grand Slams in, in her career. And But now that, um, that Ubi Urkash has made – the, the breakthrough at a one thousand tournament. Um, how how good can he be? Like how how far do you think he can go in in his career?
2: And, yeah, you, you were right. Mentioned about Hubi Hoolkash after her triumph in Paris. When he actually once said, she plays like Francesca Schiavone. It's such a man's power in in women's games. So possibly she will earn ten more Grand Slam titles in the future. But considering Hubby, uh, when he was a, a regular challenger level, when he played challenges in Uzbekistan or uh, Portugal, some different countries, searched him for money and, and points to ranking. He was, I remember Michal Przysiężny, former Polish uh, Davis Cup player. He was partnering uh, Pierre Gerber in Tokyo to win his first doubles crown in 2014. And Przysiężny, when he because they from the same town, from Wrocław, uh, which is the southern part of Poland, he said, Hubi Hurukas, there's, there's, there's a very talented guy, but maximum for him is 60, top 60. That's what I see with his ability, with his strength, with his serve, with his motion, because he's such a tall man. So 60 is absolute maximum. Right now he's 16. I think he Hube is very humble and he's very silent. When when he did when we did the, the television to, just to show you or maybe to clarify what kind of person he is. When he when we did uh, last uh, year huge interview uh, for television uh, in Warsaw in his home city, he he was waiting half an hour for juniors to to finish their practice, and then he uh, he asked me if he can put the balls on tennis courts, and then he just uh, make it clean after the interview was done, just you know collecting tennis balls from the court because we just wanted just to look at professional on a television and so he's still very humble he still talks to everybody Um uh, he still helps the, his first coach who's based now in arizona philip canchua who helped him a lot they both visited 30 countries when they were young guys and Hubi is not an arrogant guy who who asked for too much but i think uh when he lost first round in australia this year in melbourne park against Mikhail Emer, something has you know possibly he felt like maybe I'm not going to be a big, great player anymore because he waited too long. And I think uh, he was talking to Craig Button a lot uh, about uh, why I'm still in the same place, why I'm not uh, you know, improving a lot, especially on Grand Slam level. Third round uh, against Djokovic uh, two years ago, he played great in London. a goal he won a set against Djokovic, which is a huge achievement on a Grand Slam level. But then, then Craig said. I didn't want you to put that strategy. You need to save this energy for the whole match. So why have you, why have you fight in one set like an animal? And then you lost so much energy. So Djokovic uh, has beaten easily. So I guess Hubie will always be the same. Uh, he's very you know, plenty of culture, plenty of respect to everybody. He he wait. I remember two years ago in Challenger in Poznan, he waited too long so that the supervisor asked him maybe you can stop signing autographs for the kids <laughs> because after his match he, he couldn't say he couldn't say no he, he just couldn't say no he still he waited patiently for everybody to come and then the next match was just about to start and the supervisor said maybe we should stop this autograph session <laughs> because <laughs> then but that, that's how it be and in a way because people think maybe you should be an animal or arrogant to to be successful at such a high level, uh, and demand the, his the board, but he shows that you can be world number 16 and still be a nice guy.
0: And that's exactly what Yannick Sinner said after the final in Miami. He said, you are the nicest guy on tour and you're probably my best friend on tour. And I think those comments echo what the young Italian did say. And um, talking about Hercash as well, and his win was in Florida and he's also won in Delray Beach before as well, which is very close um, in proximity to where Miami is what's the what has the key for him been actually moving some of his time or shifting some of his time to Florida and basing himself out of the region um, just in terms of a locational um, sort of convenience has that helped him a lot in terms of his career and actually winning this tournament
2: yeah I guess you're right because last year we had a launch out with whoby after Indian wireless was canceled in Miami was supposed to start because the IMG has put a bit of prior, a pressure on so private, but he wasn't to be. So he was locked in Florida, Settlebrook, Wesley Chapel is just around the corner. So he spent plenty of time with his coach, with his daughters, with the physios, everybody. And I think America, the, the very few months after the pandemic was uh, new to everybody. That helped him a lot in terms of fitness. Uh, he's a hard worker. That's how he was when he played basketball in his, in his young days in Rostov. Uh, so he always was a hard worker. Uh, not to the extreme, like uh, to extend his practice session for half an hour after he's been established. But I guess, um, yeah, Florida in American style, I think he, he had a bit of a freedom. Also, interesting fact... Uh Hubi told me that after he played with Felix Ojaliazim Azim in Paris and he he was able to win the Masters series uh, last November in doubles okay. against the best per Mate Pavic and Bruno Fragasaras. He said possibly he need he needs an energy from the people who are more crazy on court and off the court. Like he said Felix is very very you know Optimistic guy like like a volcanic eruption. That's kind of that kind of thing. and who be possibly needed that kind of uh, bloke next to him and he, he because uh, the, the age difference against him and Craig Barton is too, you know, sometimes what the Volga team told me last year Dominic team was too too shy to say um, a Few things he felt he needed to say to Ginter Breznik because it was he was too old for him, You know, be too much respect for the old guy and I think, uh, so Felix Orgelia has even made that gap, fulfilled that gap for Hubi. And uh, also he, he played with Yannick Sinner this year uh, in Dubai and Melbourne, which is again, uh, he's a Leo, Sinner so, you know, by Zodiac is a Leo, so full of energy. And, and, and on the other side of the world, of the moon, is, a, is Hubi, who is Aquarius, very silent, analyzing, you know, uh, very calm. So I think he needed that kind of person. And he said that Félix Nogénez made him realise, I, I, I believe to win big titles, even if it was doubles, still he, he, he started to believe that he can play really well in tennis, in singles.
0: Amazing. It's a, it's a great story. And one more before we do let you go, Thomas. I just want to ask a quick one because Jerzy Janovich is a bit of a cult hero here in Australia. And that famous outburst against Somdev Deverman well,
3: yeah. is still is
0: still one that uh, I think will, will stand the test of time as one of the all-time outbursts. How is he tracking? Is in the 500s at the moment, um, the injury comeback has been a bit slow because of COVID. And how are things going with Jerzy? And will we ever see him get back into the top 100?
2: As as you said, I'm also a big fan of Biazhenovic because he's so energetic. He's like a catapaxi volcanic in Ecuador, you know, always active. <laughs> <laughs> he's never been inactive. <laughs> and yeah, very, very funny guy and very stubborn in a positive way. He, he wants to ask for... If he wants, he calls a spade a spade. He, he doesn't hide his true emotions. Um, last year, before the pandemic uh, started, he was very... Um, quickly stepping up the ladder from 900, I guess, into the 400 somewhere, after he played some challengers, Quimper in France, and in Pau, and in the Pyrenees. He was very close. He was reaching the final of challenger last year in France. Then yeah. the pandemic started. He was helping the Davis Cup uh, national team with Mariusz Fristenberg, the former um, great doubles champion. And I think Yezzey matured a lot through being a father. He he told me that uh, I needed uh, fatherhood to make me realize there's more important issues in my life than only playing tennis. He's still very... To show you how how talented... Of course, you know how talented he is, but before he retired because of an injury, uh, and he said, I need to go to Ginter Bresnik, because he understands my tennis, and he he was traveling Vienna, Warsaw, Vienna, Warsaw, also waiting for Marta Donahalska, former player, his wife, to to have a uh, baby uh, she was due to have a baby and they have a lovely kid and a little boy and I think uh, he wanted so desperately to win because he knew he has enough talent to play Hubert Hurkash. and that would be a marvellous contest right now is seeing him against be on, on tennis court to see who's going to win this battle because the total different characters you know that would make a lot of media attention and we Last November, uh, Yishu played an exhibition game. He asked me if I can come to commentary in it on a clay court, uh, indoor, against Miok Believe me, he was sliding on on the clay court uh, like a crazy man. Every ball he reached at the net, he was doing drop shots, swab well, stuff so like that. His son was looking at it, a little boy, uh, holding, hold, He was holding his mum. But Yishu was very, is still very open to come back. I think the knee problem is the biggest issue. Uh, still, the few doctors or surgeons don't want to say how oh, well, we don't know if you can if you can go into the full effort with it. So Nery is always, as you know, he, he always lives his heart in court and cord. He has 100% pain, full of uh, enthusiasm on cord. So I think that that has in a way blocked his head and like you know mentally, like if I go any further with a um, very dynamic style of play will my knee survive that's that's the biggest issue because he we know the tennis he wants to come back as, as quick as he can and uh, to show his his kid uh, that uh, you see your father was former well number 14 playing semifinal wimbledon no other polish player has ever done it uh, even Wojtek Fibok was in quarters but never in the, the semi-final so yeah yes is still very hungry very angry in a way for uh, for the kind of injury he he collected with his knee. Because there wasn't, uh, there was a period in his time when, he, when no surgeon wanted to touch his knee, because everyone was afraid to to make it more complicated. So, so he had a big health issues. But but will I'm I'm pretty sure with his ambition, he'll he'll be back one day. I'm not, I don't know when. He doesn't know when. But but he, everyone wants him to be back on court.
0: Yep, we can definitely echo that because okay. we do love him here in Australia and all the things that he has been able to achieve. There was that. Paris Masters final and the Wimbledon semi final So hopefully Yuziyanovitch can uh, can come back bigger and better and stronger than ever. But Thomas, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. It's been an absolute pleasure to discuss tennis with you and all things Polish tennis. It is prosperous at the moment with a Grand Slam winner and now a Masters 1000 winner in Hubert Hurkacz and Igor Rytontek at the French Open last year. Thomas Lorek, thank you so much for joining us on the show.
2: No worries, I'd love to come back to Australia next year. Hope, hopefully, the pandemic will not be as, as big as it is now. So, and I can enter. Emma, where you said, Thomas, we wait for you 2022.
0: <laughs> Thomas Lorek, their Polish journalist. What a wonderful man he is and give us, giving us all of his time to chat about the rise of Polish tennis with uh, Hubert Herkash and Iguish Fiontek, both dominating their respective genders. But our next guest is a great friend of ours on Breakpoint. He's a man we had on last year during the COVID pandemic, and we're having him on again. Uh, His name is Andrew Harris, the world number 242. Andrew, how are you, mate? Good to have you back on.
3: Thanks for having me again. It's a
0: pleasure to be back on. It's a pleasure to have you back on. And we must ask, first thing, we spoke last year and your back was giving you a few problems. How's that all going at the moment?
3: um oh, could be better um it held up okay over the um Aussie summer about that, that period because i was able to get some pretty good treatment and stay on top of things but um just post ao as i was sort of preparing to leave for europe it was still giving me some issues and i just wasn't ready to play at all um so i investigated further i got some got some hip scans done on my hips because they'll give me some issues and then Yeah, it's pretty. It's escalated pretty quickly, but now I'm I'm getting double hip surgery um, in a few days. So yeah, so I won't be playing for
0: a little while. That's like the Ron Burgundy. Well, that escalated quickly. That's um, (laughs) that's absolutely shocking news. And what's um? So what's the what's the layoff now? It's is that double hip surgery would probably mean at least a few months off the tour. And how's that going to affect your ranking? And do the COVID rankings help you at all?
3: Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, because it's both sides, uh, I think the recovery will be longer. Um, So I have to get my left and right a week in between. Um, So it could be anywhere between four to six months recovery in terms of return to competition. Um, So, yeah, so I'll be taking a protected ranking. Uh, I'm not sure what it'll be. But, but yeah, the COVID, the new COVID... uh, rankings what have they implemented a little while ago, I think it will help me a bit because I'll only lose half the points that I was supposed to lose. I had a big 125 Challenger final coming off, so I'll keep half of those points as opposed to losing them all. So it'll help me a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just hope my protected ranking will still be at a ranking where it will
1: be able to get me to slam qualifying next year. Andrew, can you sort of talk us about or talk us through um, sort of that, that recovery and the rehab and what you kind of get up to in that time of recovery, like how do you how do you spend it? Um, how do you sort of keep yourself in a good headspace going back onto the tour?
3: Um, well, well I shouldn't speak too
1: soon because I haven't done it yet. But
3: i um, in the <laughs> last couple of weeks, I, I've definitely found it more difficult. The last couple of weeks, just with having, I'm still like keeping up my fitness training and my DNS like strength work and all that. I've just have been hitting, but I've just had all these extra all this extra time um, in my day, and it's just sort of like. It's just yeah, it's been so a bit tough to sort of pass it, being like pass all those hours and free time in a productive way. Um, yeah, I've definitely had more time to see my friends here. It's been it's been good doing that, but I mean, we're talking we're talking a few months post surgery that I'm gonna have to feel feel my days obviously uh, outside of my rehab. So I think I think it will be tough. Um, I think I'm gonna have to find something, you know, maybe
1: do a, a course, some sort of study, um, to just keep me busy and keep me sort of productive. Yeah, right. What do you think you'll? Uh, what do you think you'll do? What kind of? What kind of thing interests you? Uh, a couple of things. Well, I mean, I've I've got my degree in business marketing, so
3: maybe something else that I can I can add to my resume with that. Or I also love um, love the stock market. Um, so maybe nice. maybe doing a course, um, maybe doing a course for, for the stock market. Maybe because I yeah I quite enjoy it.
1: Yeah, very nice. I've uh, I actually just started working uh, in in Super a few months ago, so I've been kind of learning uh, on uh, on the fly. But maybe we'll keep uh, we'll keep numbers out of it for the, for the time being. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Please do, um, <through>, Joel. Your... <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think we can all agree on that. But um, your your uh, Aussie summer, Andrew, was pretty productive. Um, and uh, I think we Val and I sort of sat back and we were really excited by. What you're able to do um, at the AO and at the Melbourne Summer Series um, as well. So, uh, do you want to sort of just talk us through um, those couple of months and, um, I guess, how you felt on the court?
3: Yeah, no, uh, I was reasonably happy. I mean, first, well, first time was well Qualies in Doha. Um, yeah, had a really good, really good training block leading into that. I was feeling good, feeling probably the most ready I've felt in a while. Um, so went over there with sort of pretty big expectations of myself. Um, yeah, had a good win first round against a good player, Devilman's uh, and then yeah, I was a bit disappointed with my second round match. I played the second seed Hugo Delian, but I lost in a very tight one. But I felt like I was only probably a point or two from on, in each set from winning it in straight sets, and I was a bit. I didn't feel like I played very well at all, so I was a bit disappointed because there was a definitely a match that. I felt very very much in control of for for a large part of it and uh didn't get it done but here's what it is and then came back did the quarantine which is a bit of a grind and then uh yeah played the melbourne summer series and i was i was happy to to get a walk on main draw and uh, i had my first main draw tour level win um which was quite exciting and then obviously i had another good experience playing our top guy in next round but yeah, overall, I think, you know, there were some positive strides made, but I'm definitely not, you know, not satisfied. I definitely, you know, wanted more.
0: And what did you learn from playing against someone like Rigor, who's such a bona fide uh, member of that ATP Top 20 Grand Slam semi-finalist and made the quarters of the AO this year, so was in some pretty rich form um, heading into the Oz Open when he played you. What did you learn from that encounter? Because it you weren't far off.
3: Yeah, well, I was well. That much I was super disappointed in how I. I was so. I think I wanted to do so well, so bad that I put a lot of pressure on myself, and uh, I just couldn't free up. I was just froze out there. I was just so nervous and couldn't free up and play my natural game, which which I was most disappointed about. But um, Grigor was obviously a great, amazing player, and what I did notice, though, he just how well he took uh, time away. You know, I, we're playing on those uh, on one of the big was 1573 and there's so much space behind the court and I, I found myself just retre- uh, retreating so deep in the court and you sort of lose your way you're not used to playing with all that space behind the court and I was just finding I was getting deeper and deeper and he was just stepping in the court and taking time away and I think that was the big the big thing I learned um was just I needed to hold my court position better and and yeah and look to take you know look to take time away which is what I usually try and do for my game but Gregor did it very well.
0: And talking about the the entire sort of Melbourne bubble or whatever whatever it was or whatever you want to call it now the the two weeks quarantine coming back after Doha how did you go with that and how was how was everything staying in the hotel and and was it all was it better for you than a lot of other players or how did you find it?
3: Um, I mean I was definitely lucky that I was on a plane uh, that had one COVID case because otherwise it'd be another hard lockdown. So I got i got bloody lucky there because the flight two hours landed up landed two hours after me from doha did have a case so they were in hard lockdown so i was definitely felt lucky that i was still able out able to be out for five hours of the day so in that sense it was it was fine i mean yeah it wasn't you know it was as good as what it could have been like the hotel was fine um you got uber eats free uber eats you know a hundred dollars a day so there's no complaints there and uh it's just, I mean, it was, it was really strict, which is which is what was required, which is good. But um, sort of like oh, quite often they were running late and then you'd eat into your practice time. So at best you'd get maybe an hour 40 of practice a day. That was about the best case scenario. So you would have liked a little bit more. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it is what it is. And I didn't really have too many complaints about it because I, I sort of knew I was, you know, getting myself into with it.
0: $100 of Uber Eats a day sounds absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, I guess if you're eating <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, it probably adds up to a little bit more. So you've got to be a little bit more conservative. But talking about practice, you were paired with someone who notoriously, from what we see on the outside in, doesn't practice overly hard in Bernard Tomic, How was how was that experience? Because from, from a fair way off with him and Vanessa Sierra, Things looked uh, things looked interesting to to say the least, Andrew.
3: Oh, uh, what a stitch up, eh? I've, I've got to be careful what I say here because well, last 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 time I said something about Bernard, he, he pulled me up on it. Uh, I saw him a few days later, and he pulled me up on pulled me up on what I said. So I got to be got to be careful not to rip him too much. But uh, no, I mean, I I nominated just some different progress partners, but because of the uh, health health rules, like, they had to be from the same hotel, the same, I think, even the same floor you were staying on, like, the, the place. So it was very limited, and apparently I was told that he was the only option, even even though I asked um, what my options were. They said that's the only option, so take what you can get. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he wanted to practice a little bit. I wouldn't say he wanted to practice a huge amount, but thankfully I was, a, I was able to have uh, Sharky um, from Brisbane, um, Mark Draper. From Mark, uh, he was assigned to me because his both his players Tristan and Dane were in hard quarantine, so I was assigned him. Which, yeah, that 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 saved the two weeks for sure because I had to hit a lot with him uh, each day. So Bernard maybe wanted to hit an you know, hour, hour here and there, and <laughs> the rest I uh, I sort of hit with Mark. So it wasn't ideal, but
1: it definitely beat not being able to hit at all those two weeks. That's for sure. Yeah. Geez, I, I, I can only imagine uh, Bernie's uh, Bernie's hands being a, a little bit tired from holding up that phone, uh, having to record. on my Vanessa, but um, <laughs> just, just before we uh, before we uh, that could have gone that could have gone some places. But um, yeah. just before we do, I'll let you go, um, Andy. Obviously, you've raised before, and uh, got uh, you had uh, you had the uh, allowance for for rates in, in the hotel. But I'm I'm interested to know. So, it's your it's your off season. You got some time off. You can eat whatever you like, and you can go get Uber Eats. What are you getting? Uh, and uh, I guess what kind of what kind of cuisine are you going for? Oh, I mean, if I had to choose only one thing,
3: uh, it'd be hard to hard to beat a greasy pizza. Oh, a yeah. nice greasy pizza that that would be pretty good. But uh, yeah, I gotta be I gotta be careful these next few months. You know, I won't be able to exercise as much. I gotta. Really, be strict with my diet and try and not eat too much and a bit of less carbs because I don't want to be packing them on before I have to come back and play and just be rolling around the court. So I have to be really disciplined.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned pizza because yeah. uh, straight after Easter, I've got new Eats tonight and I had myself a pizza as well. So yeah, I'll be I'll be rolling back to whatever I'm doing uh, <laughs> over the next few <laughs> weeks. But, um, Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and um, thank God Joel's question about. Uh, about Bernie didn't go too far there because I wasn't sure where that was going. Um, yeah
3: no I wasn't gonna be able to say yeah. too much on that yeah. I'm going
0: into No nah, Joel's got his own OnlyFans page anyway so um, yeah we'll uh, oh, we'll get around <laughs> <laughs> All right you, we better we to pay people to, to subscribe or
3: what? He has to pay people? <laughs>
0: yeah, pretty much pretty much. But um, no a, a couple of people have joined. A couple of uh, prominent influencers on Married at First Sight have have joined. Um <laughs> Um, but no, that's about all we've got time for. Thanks, thanks heaps for joining us, Andrew. It's a pleasure, and good luck with the hip surgery. I've uh, I reckon I've ruined Joel's night now, but good luck with it. Hopefully the rehab goes well, and um, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll see you back on the court soon, mate. Because um, there's no more deserving player than you uh, after what you've been through over the last couple of years to get into that top hundred and hopefully break into that top echelon of uh, of men's tennis, mate. So good luck and all the best. Thanks
3: so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Andrew Harris joining us there on Breakpoint Podcast. He is a wonderful friend of this show and um, an amazing player. Hopefully he can get on the court soon and the back injury has just plagued him a little bit over the last year and a half, so it'll be nice to see him get back on the court. He played so well in the Melbourne Summer Series at the start of the year. But Joel, it is time now for the Benoit of the Week, our favourite segment on this show, the only segment that we really have on this show. And, it's um, it's an exciting one that gives us, you know, a, a great pleasure every week to be able to do. And we had Benoir a couple of weeks ago, singing his song and dancing. And some are <laughs> more of a jovial note, some are more of a serious note. And today, what would you say? Would you say it's more of a serious one or a jovial?
1: Oh, uh, I think just a little bit more serious. I think. Do you want to? Do you want to tell listeners what it is?
0: I think so. And uh, in. Today in, uh, and, and look, let's let's have a look. I want to get the name of this, this tournament correct. Uh, we are in uh, Copa Colsanitas. Colesani- Copa Colsanitas. There we go. That's uh, that's as well as that's going to go for me. Um, Very good, mate. So, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, the, Astra Sharma is playing there in a WTA event. And the world number 134... Ended up losing 4-6, 7-5, 6-1 to Giulia Gatto Monticone of Italy. But in the third game of the third set with things poised at 1-all, Astra Sharma had love 30. Won the point. Should have been love 40. The umpire calls it 15-30. How, Joel, how does this happen? So the umpire Luis David Armenta Castro has called it has called one of the previous points to Gatto Monticone, flipping the game entirely. Oh, sorry, hang on. The umpire called it 30-15, not 15-30. So the umpire has completely missed the first two points of the game and given them to the Italian, who has then gone on to hold and proceeded to win the next four games of the match with Sharma just obviously completely and utterly bemused at the situation. But, unfortunately, it got worse because the tournament supervisor said, the WTA supervisor said that Sharma should learn her lesson and focus more on the score instead of her tennis in the future and that her confusion was not an excuse.
1: Yeah, that's that's bullshit. Categorically, that's bullshit. I think it's also just like... I know that okay, so players don't necessarily have to do this, but I, I think there's also an element like there's a level of accountability on the players too. If if you know that the the score has been recorded so incorrectly as that was, mm. I think I almost think there's a level if you know you haven't won any points, right? Especially if you if you know when you when you haven't won any points, you know you haven't won any points, right? I think if yeah. that happens, there's a, there's also a level of accountability for that player just to put your hand up and say, Look, that's completely wrong. I want a point here. Now I can honestly I don't I don't blame any player for not doing that because it's it's dog eat dog in tennis, right? We know that. But when it's that wrong, I almost think there's a there's a moral sort of culpability that you need to kind of act on.
0: Okay. So that and you make a very, very compelling point there, Joel. Hundred percent agree with you. So that means we're going for a double Benoit we're giving it to the umpire Luis David Armenta Armenta Castro and we're giving another one to Julia Gatto Monticone, because
1: maybe we should give it maybe we should give a third one for your beautiful pronunciation
0: thank you i will i will take it i actually had a <laughs> bit of a Benoit day today myself actually with um driving on the roads in melbourne some uh, guy is broken down in the left lane and um and i've tried to move into the right on my way into work this morning and uh, bit, you know, a bit of a gridlock in um, in Melbourne's east, um, going from my partner's house this morning to Melbourne's north. And, um, yeah, getting into the right lane, doing my head check, making sure that the person let me in in the right lane. The guy's in the left lane still doing his hand gestures, waving to everybody to go around, making sure, because he's right on the cusp of the intersection. As I get around and go through with the car in front of me, is just done, I get flashed by a red light camera. No oh, no! So safe Stitch to say, yep. Yeah, safe to say, I've had a bit of a Benoit day myself. So Vic Rhodes, if the fine does come through, um, I will be contesting because I'm not pleased at all with that situation. But um, yeah, that's uh, that was my Benoit of the day. But no, nothing like what Julia uh, Gatto Monticone and where is he? I can't do it off by heart. Luis David <laughs> Armenta Castro. Um, I do enjoy saying Spanish names, so it's given me great pleasure to do that. But, um, uh, Joel, that is our Benoit of the week. It's been a couple of obscure ones, ones that we never really thought that we'd say this year, but uh, Benoit Pair is still leading the overall Benoit of the year count with two, he's the only multiple so far. But thank you very much for your efforts on today's show. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, no worries, mate. Another good one. Catch you next week.
0: Big thank you to Thomas Lorek and Andrew Harris as well for jumping on the show tonight. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast. We are there. And you can also follow the wonderful Joel Frucci on Twitter at Joel Frucci, myself at VFebo96. You can subscribe. Um, to the podcast on Wooshka, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. We are there. It's been Val Febo and Joel Frucci talking tennis with you, as we do every week. Congratulations to the Miami Open winners. We'll catch you next time.